Okay, sorry about that. Had a little technical uh, difficulty. I need to get new coloring pages back there, probably. She's probably tired of the ones that are there. We are in the book of Revelation. We're doing an overview. We've been going through the Bible, and we started in Genesis. And if you've been joining with me, then you have read through the Bible in its entirety. That's pretty cool. Um, So four years of reading. And we've come to Revelation, and we're going to do an overview. And then uh, for a while, we're going to do a deep dive into Revelation on Sundays and Wednesdays. So turn to Revelation chapter 1, and it is Jesus' revelation. This is about Jesus. That's what this revelation is about, what he's doing, what his plan is. And heads up, he's coming. He's coming in the clouds. He's coming, and every eye will see him. He's coming to make all things right. That brokenness that you feel and that you experience, he's coming to make it fully redeemed. This is what the book of Revelation is about, his second coming. So, Revelation chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, had made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed. Blessed is the one who reads out loud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, modern-day Turkey, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of earth, on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will well on account of him. Even so. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos 
on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. They're in tribulation. Paul is on the island of Patmos, a prison colony, to work and quarry rocks. That was his job. Not Paul, sorry, John. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. These seven churches are seven cities which are now in modern-day Turkey, which would be, at the time, Asia Minor. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstand was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining full in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Verse 19, the outline for the book. Pay attention. Write therefore, he's giving John a command, write therefore the things that you have seen section of the book. Write those that are and those that are to take place after this third section of the book. So Revelation is divided into three parts according to Jesus' instruction to John. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands and the seven stars or the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So real quick, when you're in a book and you're reading apocalyptic, well, that's a big word. When you're reading language and literature that has a lot of symbology, a lot of images, speaking through image, you need to look for how it interprets it. How does it interpret what is being seen? Jesus right here interprets what the seven stars are, what the seven golden lampstands are, right? You see? So in the text, the answer is given, and we got to be attentive to that. So heads up, just want to make sure you know, Jesus has a message for you. Jesus has a message for you. Now, the biggest message is that he's coming. The coolest message is that he saved you. He has saved you. Will you receive freely the gift of life that he's given you? I pray that you do. If you have, 
then let's be ready and be looking and anticipating his coming because he is coming on the clouds and every eye will see him. So Jesus leaves John some instructions. What are Jesus' instructions? Right here, Revelation 1.19. You should underline that. Mark this in your Bible because this is an outline that Jesus gives to John for writing Revelation. I know, I know Revelation can be a very confusing book. And, and I admit, it can be very confusing. But this is a very simple outline that Jesus gave John for writing the book. It doesn't get much simpler than that, right? Now, we can try to complicate it with different theories and, and different interpretation grids, but this is a basic outline given right in the book, right there for the things that you have seen. What did he see? What had John seen? Remember First John? He was talking about seeing Jesus, right, and touching Jesus and experiencing Jesus. What are the things that are? Well, the church. He's got a right to the seven churches, right? What are the things that will take place after this? Well, the future things, the end things. And there'll be some of those things maybe have already taken place, maybe they haven't, and we can debate or discuss that, and we will discuss some of that at length. But this is a basic outline for the book of John. So what we have is... What we have seen, Jesus glorified. That's Revelation chapter 1, 9 to 20. We just read it. Jesus glorified in his, in his glorified state with, with white hair, the, the wisdom of the ages, with, with a tongue, a sword of tongue cutting to the quick, to the, to the truth, with bronze feet walking in judgment. So we see Jesus glorified that was what was seen that's what had happened what is it's the seven churches of revelation now you're going to notice a lot of uh, numbers are coming up in revelation and john lays this whole book out in sevens those seven churches those seven bowls those seven seals those seven trumpets those seven signs seven is a number of completion. Whenever you see seven in the Bible, it's, it's talking of wholeness, of complete. And this is because this revelation of Jesus is the complete revelation of Jesus' work on the earth. It's the fullness, the, the completion of his work, which he began back in Eden, really. So then we have what is the seven churches, which is chapters Two through three. That's chapters two through three. And then you have what will be, right? What will be? What will take place after this? So Jesus' judgment is in the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. That's Revelation 4 through 22 covers these topics. Now, there are some intermittents there. Uh, chapter 4 and 5 would be a little bit of a prep for chapter 6. And then there's the seven signs, uh, which are in towards the middle of the book. And these are like uh, snapshots of 
what's going on in the seals, trumpets, and bowls. And there's some debate as to whether these are like in chronological order or if they're like an overlay of one another. And it's interesting to play with that stuff, but the fact is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming and he is bringing the final walk on the earth. That final walk of bringing everything together and that coming includes judgment. And today is the day of salvation. Today is. And so today is to say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I want a relationship with you. And he calls you to come. And the Spirit calls you to come. And we call you to come. So here's your broad outline. You got it? It's really simple. Chapter 1 is about Jesus, the glorified Jesus. Chapter 2 is about the church. Okay? It, it's kind of like even like somewhat present day in a sense, but not. It's, I mean, it, it is. And then chapters 4 through 22 are about the future, the after these things. This is what Jesus expects John to understand. This is the language that Jesus uses. And we will talk about how some people think that this has all been, was future for John and, and his guys, but not future for us, except for the coming of the Lord. And we'll discuss that, and we're going to explore that. And uh, if you have questions, there's no dumb answer, or dumb questions, or dumb answers. Well, there might be dumb answers coming from me, but, <laughs> but ask them. Um, come up to me. Talk to me about it. I want to discuss this. I wanted to kind of demythicize Revelation for us, because it's really so cool, and it's about Jesus. Who's it about? It's about Jesus, yes. So there's some keys to understanding Revelation. There's five keys I want you to think about. And some of these are Bible study principles that you actually need to use on every single book of the Bible that we come to. So five keys that we need to think about. The first one is depend on the Holy Spirit. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit to lead us and teach us in all truth. The second one is understand the Old Testament context. This, uh, this is so important to know what the Old Testament says because John assumes and Jesus assumes you know your Old Testament. Okay? The third is to understand the original context on why John was writing, when it was written, what the culture of that time was, what imagery and what language were they using back then to, to communicate truth. Okay. The fourth is understand imagery and symbology in the context. Understand how to, when it talks about a dragon coming out of the sea, that it's not actually talking about a physical dragon coming out of the sea. Or a beast with several horns. It's not an actual physical beast with several horns. These are images to depict the realities in the spiritual realm and to depict realities here on earth. Earth. Okay, so we need to understand the imagery and symbologies in the context, the symbols. What does the red horse symbolize? What does it picture, right? You see? What does the white horse picture? What does it mean when they hold a scale in their hand? 
Why is John paying attention to those kinds of things? And to understand that, we need to know how they use their phones, not how we use them. All right. And then fifth, we need to identify the lenses we are bringing or you are bringing to the text. You ever wear glasses? Well, some of us wear glasses. I'm supposed to, and I don't. So kids, don't follow my example. Wear your glasses if you need to. But every time you put your glasses on or a pair of glasses on or put on a pair of sunglasses, it changes the picture a little bit. Ever wear glasses that don't fit? Ever, is it, sometimes it's super blurry, right? So when we come to this book of Revelation, we have lenses. We have preconceptions. And we don't, we're not going to be able to just take them all off, but we need to become aware of what are the preconceptions that I'm bringing to this book. Like, for example, for me. One of my preconceptions that I bring to the book is the system of theology that I use to think through the Bible. It's called dispensational theology. That affects how I think about Revelation. Now, do I, am I aware of that lens? Yes, I am. And do sometimes I try to remove that lens and that preconception? I do because I want to see it from different angles. All right, so we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. John 16, 12 says, I still have many things, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Listen to this. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all what? The truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The natural man cannot understand the spiritual things of God. He has to be quickened and made alive by the Spirit of God to understand the things of God. And it is the Spirit of God that leads us and teaches us in all truth. So revelation is not an academic exercise. Revelation and all of Scripture is a journey with God in His Word through the Holy Spirit, ministering and administrating His truth to our hearts. So we need to be dependent on the Spirit of God to teach us and lead us in all truth. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I, I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit is, is foundational, it's key, it needs to, he needs to permeate all of our thinking and in our dependence as we study. The second thing is we need to understand the Old Testament to understand Revelation. Revelation isn't about reading my t newspaper today and then reading my newspaper events back in the Revelation. Revelation is about understanding what was said in Daniel, what was said in Ezekiel, what was said in Genesis, what was said in many other books, and understanding how those come in, and John and Jesus are using and integrating those into the Bible, into the Revelation, so that Jesus is the fulfillment and showing it. So Revelation has approximately... 150 
that's a lot. It's only 22 chapters long. There's 150 neo-quotations of the Old Testament text. It's a literary phenomenon. That's a, a wow, those are big words. It's, it's something that happens in writing that's called endotextuality. It means it's so woven together and so entangled that it's hard to pull them apart. Okay? It's like when you get marshmallow in your hair. It's all through your hair and there's nowhere, you can't get it out. I hate marshmallows in my hair. I don't know. Maybe that was a bad analogy. But I was trying to get something where you guys could understand. It's so interwoven. And the way John quotes is oftentimes he doesn't say, hey, I'm quoting from the Old Testament. He just starts talking. He integrates. Okay, that's what it means by intertextuality. He just integrates the Old Testament principles and, and ideas into the text. And we are going to be drawing those out as we go through Revelation. So the... the how many other, well, the, ne the next thing is understanding the original context. We've got to understand what's going on, when it's written, why it's written, all those kinds of things. So who's the author? John the Apostle. John the Apostle is the author. That's pretty uh, much a consensus. There are a few who don't think that, but there always will be. The location. The location is not debated. It's written on the island of Patmos by John to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And you got the map there. And out there on the bottom, you can see the island out there. That's the island of Patmos. Okay, and it's written to the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And, of course, we read in the text the, the, what the names of those cities are, and we're going to be going over those. The culture. So original context. The culture. It's Greek culture. It's written to Greek Christians. The Greeks are in the majority. Jews are a minority. Christians are an even more smaller minority of that, right? So Asia Minor is one of gross immorality and idolatry. And thus they're persecuting Christians. It's not a happy place. They're a minority. They're not a majority like we are. They don't act, uh, experience the freedoms of their faith like we do. They're more like a minority, like what a Christian would be in a Muslim country today or in China today. It would be similar as persecution as that and maybe even more severe. So we have to understand the original context. Now, there's two dates uh, for Revelation. There's a proposed early date, which is A.D. 56 to A.D. 68 or A.D. 95. Uh, I am in... I don't actually personally think it matters to my understanding of Revelation when it was written. But if you believe that Revelation has already been fulfilled except for the second coming, and we call that a preterist. If you're a preterist, then you really need the early date. You really need the early date for the, to be able to sustain that because it has to have happened within the lifetime and in the rule of Nero. Uh, for me, um, I, I'm okay with either date. I think that the AD 95 date has a lot of credence. Um, 
and I understand why they, they, some of the guys want to date it earlier uh, because of the, some of the textual uh, evidence that's there. And if you want to talk to me about that, I can give you an article. I can just talk to you about it, um, and we can, we can discuss that further. So we need to understand the imagery and symbology in the context. So first we need to ask ourselves as we're reading, is there an explanation for the imagery and the symbology in the media text? Just like today in our text tonight, when we were reading through Revelation chapter 1, Jesus at the end uh, explains who the seven uh, lampstands are. He explains who the seven messengers or seven angels are. You see? Uh, and who the seven stars are. He, he explains the imagery. So the first place we look for the explanation for uh, understanding imagery is the immediate context. If there is an ex if there's an explanation for imagery and symbology in the whole Bible, so maybe we go look at Daniel, or maybe we go look at Ezekiel, or, or Zechariah, or Genesis, or wherever, we go and we look other places where it uses similar imagery to be able to understand how to interpret the imagery that's here today. The thing we do not want to do is use imagery of today and push it back into the Bible. You, ever hear of the, the, you might hear some people say, well, those demons coming out of the abyss are Apache helicopters. If you ever heard that before, that's pushing imagery back into the Bible rather than drawing it forward and understanding it how they understood it. Second, uh, thirdly, is there an exclamation, explanation uh, for the imagery and the symbology in the cultural context? So, like, right now, today, if we went down to sh downtown Chicago uh, and went to the uh, Oriental Institute, we could walk right by the lions that D Daniel walked by when he went into Babylon. We could stand and we could see these throne guardians, and they're like... Chimeras, they're composite throne guardians, and they have wings and, and hooves of the bull and heads of a man and, and tails, right? They're composite. This is imagery. This is how they showed these magnificent beasts and how they thought that they had different attributes. That's how they, did, they demonstrated them. So scripture does the same thing because they're writing in those kinds of contexts. We kind of do it today. What's the elephant stand for? Well, it's political. So uh, what's the donkey stand for, right? I mean, you see what I mean? We have images, animals, that represent parties. Republican Party, Democrat Party. Um. All right, last but very definitely not least, identify the lenses that you bring to the text. Identify your preconceptions. So identify these lenses. What are my preconceptions? What, what books have I read? Did I read uh, Jerry Jenkins' uh, Left Behind series? You know, and I'm not dissing on that, but that's going to be a lens. Does that make sense? That's a lens that you're bringing to the text because that's a, a book on the end times and, and on Revelation. It's a fictional book, though, okay? Um, he's using some grids and, and some theology, but it's not necessarily depicting how everything will take place. So what are my preconceptions 
what is my system of theology do I think in? Okay, so systems of theology would be like covenant theology or dispensational theology, and you're like, Pastor, I have no idea what my theology is. Well, maybe it would be a good time to kind of think and reflect or, and even have a conversation. Uh, dispensational theology is the idea that God has worked in different dispensations, different times, and different ways to mediate salvation. Covenant theology is a little different. It doesn't think in, in those terms. It says there's one covenant, one, one covenant of grace, and God has, has always worked uh, with that covenant of grace through different means. So we're in some ways getting to the same type of things, but it seems like in eschatology, which is a big word, but eschatology means in times, in eschatology we tend to diverge on what we think is happening. We tend to either go, well, in the dispensational camp, we, uh, we honor Israel and we think Israel has a place and a part in God's divine plan and a lot of covenant theologians do not. They think that the church replaces Israel or absorbs Israel. So that's how end-time interpretation begins to change. Maybe then they're more using all symbology and no lintel interpretation of physical things happening here on earth. And so then it becomes analogy. So these theological systems affect how we interpret the text, the lenses. Lastly, but not least, and I've already kind of alluded to this, but what books or movies have formed my thoughts on Revelation? When I was growing up, it seemed like there was a movie on Revelation like every other month, right? And I watched those, and they were back in the recesses of my mind somewhere. Okay, well, there's five interpretation groups, five lenses that typically come. And I don't have those five up there, but I'm going to just tell them if you want to jot them down, you can. If they just, it's not probably super, super critical, but it's, it's interesting. So the first grid of interpretation is that I'm going to talk about is a preterist. Oh, another big word. Man, I'm just using so many big words today. Uh, preterist is a, is, is a Greek word that, that they use to talk about somebody who thinks revelation has already been fulfilled, except for the second coming of Jesus. So they think everything happened and was fulfilled by A.D. 70. And A.D. 70 is when Jerusalem fell. Okay? And then they think that the reign of Christ began at that time and it's a thousand-year reign, and it's not a literal physical reign. They would also be known as all millennial. So preterists think that Revelation was a future book for John, who was writing it to his, his audience, but it, it's not a future book for us. It's a past book. And we learn lessons and about God's justice by reading that book. That's a preterist. Okay? That's one grid. That's a lens. Does that make sense? It's a lens. And the preterist needs it to have an early date. Because if it doesn't have an early date, then it's written after the fact, and then it's not a prophetic book, and, and it's a bunch of lies. Okay. 
those that preterists. Then the next thing that we have is we have what we would call an idealist. An idealist says this isn't talking about anything specific, uh, and it is talking about Jesus' second coming, but it's talking about how we have all kinds of systems of evil in the world all over the place at any time, at any place, and, and God is going to deal with that. So it's not talking about specific uh, kingdoms in, in, at a specific point in time, but it's talking about all the systems and all the kingdoms, and that's all it's talking about. So we can't look to date and time of, uh, of when this happened, okay? Those would be known as the idealists. Then, then there's the historical. This is the Netherlands. And, and the historical, though probably not as prevalent, but the historical really end up focusing more on uh, Revelations 2 through 3 and, and, and talk about how the whole book is historical for the church. Uh, those two chapters, especially 2 through 3, are historical for the church, and, and they depict the church throughout the ages. You probably have heard some of this stuff. And, and then, uh, you know, 4 through 22 is that last little bit when Jesus comes back and sets it all right. Confused yet? The, la the second to the last is called a preterist futurist. <laughs> the preterist futurist says that, yes, uh, some of that was fulfilled in the time of Nero, um, but there is still part of it to be fulfilled, and that most of these things have uh, these prophecies have dual fulfillments, uh, fulfill, immediate fulfillment, and then a lot for the future fulfillment. And then the last camp that there is there is the futurist. Revelation is written just like John's, uh, Jesus told John to write the things that, that were, the things that are, and the things that will be to take place in the future. So, so where are we going to land on this as we go through Revelation? Well, there's a, there's a couple things I want to say to that because I think there's a little bit of good in each one of them, though I am probably, I am definitely mostly in the future camp. I believe that especially Revelation chapter 4 through 22 is predominantly happening in the future. Though I would say that oftentimes prophecies do have dual fulfillment. There is an immediate fulfillment for that generation and then a future fulfillment. I think of the virgin birth and that prophecy that the, the maid or the virgin will conceive and bear a son. And that was the sign given to the king. And that was fulfilled immediately for that king and then in the future. I think of the many antichrists that have arisen, little antichrists, but it's not the ultimate. So when I come to you and I say that, uh, that those, these different interpretation grids, in reality, I think that we have to take sections of each one of these grids and build the reality of what does the text give us and demonstrate to us. So there will be some fulfillment for the church in the fourth century. 
And there will be application to them because they are in persecution. And there will be application also, though, for us today and for the future. There is a sense where God is fighting all evil over all time. That is true. But there is a very real sense where God is not going to just fight evil in generalities, but God is going to fight evil in specifics in his second coming. And his second coming is just not that day where he comes back at for the for the armies gathering against Jerusalem in the battle of uh, in the valley of Armageddon, no, his second coming actually, in my opinion, accomplish accom- accompanies pretty much the time from when he opens the seal in in Revelation chapter six, because he's the only one to open up the judgment of God upon the earth. So. Let's jump to the end of Revelation. It says in chapter 6, And he said to me, Jesus said to John, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent it to his angel to show his servants what soon must soon take place. And we're going to talk about what soon must take place and, and deal with those, those terminology. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Jesus said, behold, I am coming soon. Jesus said, I am coming. Jesus said, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and keeps them. And it's sad, I think, that in a lot of times we get confused about Revelation. We get confused about the text because there seems to be a lot of debate over it. And yet it is Jesus' revelation to us. And he wants us to understand. And he gives us a blessing for reading it and understanding it. So I just encourage you to come and read. Come and understand. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you, Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, about these things for the churches. I am the root of the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And, and I join them and say, come, come and understand Revelation. Come and know the Lamb. Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who dry, desires to take the water of life without price. Salvation is a free gift. We can come. We can come to him and receive life. I want everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, and if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in this holy city, which are described in this book. Who, he who testifies to these says, surely sa- says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. It's Jesus' revelation. Heads up, he's coming. Now is the time to receive the water of life without price. Now is the time to receive Jesus. Do you know Jesus?
If you know him, awesome. Be ready. Rejoice in his coming. Know that he is bringing all things to culmination, all things to fulfillment. He's righting all wrongs. He's redeeming it all. If you don't know him, receive. Receive the water of life without price. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness. We thank you and praise you for your grace. Oh, beautiful grace. We thank you that you are coming and every eye will see you. And we thank you that you are coming in judgment to right all wrongs. And we cry in our hearts, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come.